Hey, wait, are we actually starting now? Okay, then. You're listening to Quarantine Comics. I'm Ryan Joe. I'm Roman Segel. We're two guys who don't know anything, but for 40 minutes, we'll pretend that we do. This week, in honor of social distancing, we're digging into Chris Ware's Rusty Brown because every Chris Ware, blah, 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 every Chris Ware comic is about social distancing. All right, so Rusty Brown, 18 years in the making, published mid-2019, is only halfway complete. The graphic novel that we're talking about today doesn't even have an ending. It's literally just an intermission. I'm so glad you told me that, Ryan. Oh, my God, because... I was running late to finishing reading this. I finished reading it an hour ago in my copy I got from the library, and everything's locked down. I can't get it. And I was like, oh, shit, did I only get volume one? Am I not ready for the podcast? I think, you know, at at Ware's current rate, we're probably going to be geriatrics by the time volume volume two comes out. All right. So I got it from the library because I love the library, and I was lucky enough to, like, Everyone else is hoarding toilet paper and food. I hit up like three libraries before shit shut down. Got a bunch of kids books for my kids. Got a bunch of like guilty pleasure, like 20 graphic novels in a row of Batman and The Flash. And a bunch of indie stuff Ryan is trying to convince me to read. And I got this. I'm, I'm so happy to get it. And it's just, it's it's a beast. This thing's a brick. And I was like, did I get the wrong version? Because the type's really small. And I'm like holding it up to my eyes at night. It's I had to like, while I was finishing it on the couch a couple hours ago, like I had to keep a pillow up on my chest to keep it close enough to my face. The the interiors look like it's a library book uh, where Rusty's name is written. Even like the paragraphs at the end, just like everything is so meticulous. And that's, sorry, that's just Chris Ware. You kind of have to relearn how to read comics when you read a Chris Ware comic. And even within Rusty Brown, it's divided into chapters. It, it follows uh, the, the, the a boy named Rusty Brown. Um, his Chalky father, White. W.K. Brown. Yes, his his friend. Well, friend. They're not really friends right now. Chalky White, who's another little boy. Chalky's sister, Allison White. A teacher named Joanna Cole, and another and an art teacher named named Chris Ware. Um, but it also there it follows two bullies. Uh, one in particular, Jason Lint. So basically, the book is sprawling. Uh, Chris Ware has himself likened the structure of this graphic novel to a snowflake. Um, and you kind of can see it with all of these different unique arcs and angles. It, it, it's it's an epic that takes place in small town America. Epic's the right word. It's I, I hate books, like comic books turning into TV shows, TV shows turning into movies, all this shit. And as I was reading it, I felt like I was, each chapter felt like a season of a show that went deep. And I never want this adaptation. It never should happen. But it's... Um, but it felt cinematic. There's some pages that are cinematic, but then there's some panels where it's like super dense, super meaty. Feels like watching The Wire, not because of the content matter, but how dense it was and how much attention. Like this guy's storyboarding. Like I can't even imagine. Well, the attention to detail in some sequences is really, really is. It's really specific. For instance, uh, Miss Cole, the black teacher um, at the Omaha. Elementary chapter, school, last chapter, yep. And that she's she was the last chapter. Um, you know, there are panels where it just shows her kind of like walking throughout town, running her errands, the minutia of her daily life. Um, no dialogue, it just and taking care of her mother. All of the like the little things that she does, and you know, conversely, you have the Jason Lynch section. Now, he's the bully, and we actually get his entire life story from 
literally an infant being conceived moment of birth to the moment of death. I, I read this in two sittings. One, yeah. the first happened one night, the second half this afternoon. And um, there's literally like one page where it's him as a two-year-old and you see him in the front yard looking and he looks at something and it's like the 10 words that he knows. And I felt more like I knew this person in that panel. I mean, I, you get to know him much more, but it's just, it's artful. It's amazing. So I, I want to, I want to talk about the storytelling in the Jason Lynch section, but before getting into that, um, just the contrast with the, the, the Miss Cole section, which is again, kind of details the minutia of her everyday life with Jason. You actually, there are a lot of things missing that you kind of have to fill in the blanks. He has, mm -hmm. it seems like multiple affairs. Now that not all of the, all of this is explicitly stated. You don't get the details of it of each one but you get enough information that you know he is you know he's 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 cheating probably multiple times on his on his on his partner right um so you know to me that's what i really like about chris ware is that that sort of versatility where you can kind of zoom in on a character like miss cole and at the same time he can also zoom out and give this macro perspective on this life which we get with the jason kin chapter um, and that, that to me is just like, and it, it keeps the book really, really varied also because no one chapter feels the same. Each one feels completely different. Well, the book isn't calling it Rusty Brown is a misnomer. Rusty Brown's the starting point of all. These yeah. People. What do you think about that? Rusty Brown really doesn't show up. There's Rusty Brown. Show, you see a little bit of his childhood a humiliation that he has early. You see a very quick snapshot of him as an adult where things don't look so good. And it's through Jason Lynn's perspective. Yeah, yep, yep. And for most store. of it, he's really kind of, he's not. Now, again, we're, this is chapter one, or this is, this is volume but, one. But, but, we no, have a whole. Other... But I love that. I'm not going to lie. It was such a nice twist for me because it opens, you know, literally you open the book and it looks like a book checked out from the library that Rusty got. You start zooming into his childhood bedroom Mm. And the essay about snowflakes, which was nice and beautiful, but literally a splash that says Rusty Brown. And then the next page, and this was one of my, it was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. And, you know, we're not recording video for the podcast, but you see these two page spread that looks like the opening to a 70s television show, literally to the way like Rusty's jumping and fist pumping the air. And I was like, okay, this is the story about Rusty and this is the cast of characters, not knowing that no, we're going to go super deep into each of these people into deep, dark places. And um, just so pleasantly surprised. Like literally once we shifted gears, I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And once you realize, oh, we're going deep on these people, we might not go back to Rusty. Um, I, was, I was just so pleased and tickled by it. Now, I'm, I'm sure, I, I kind of hope, I'm sure we will because if in whatever volume two comes out, because something bad happens to Rusty like along the way. Something. I I, do you think there's going to be a volume two? Yeah. I Why? mean, I think he's writing it. Why? Because he's because Chris Ware says he's not done with it yet. <laughs> so I think okay. So he's I mean, actually gone on the record. He's he's okay. he's, he's yeah. Th I mean, this is half of the book. I literally read Intermission as. I always thought, like with movies, I would love a movie where, you know that that final act where you think it's done for the heroes, and then you know obviously then the um, the whatever the the eagles come flying. I would just fucking cut to credits, and I kind of wanted that to happen. It's like, cool. We just got a nice snapshot of four, five people's lives. The end. Next Chris yeah. Ware project. I don't need the ending. I kind of don't want it. I'm sure it'll be amazing, but I don't need it. I really don't so, need it. So about, about uh, this book being halfway done. So I, I um, 
I sometimes moonlight as a writer for as a freelancer for Publishers Weekly, and they had me interview Chris Ware for Rusty Brown, which is why I eventually picked it up. <laughs> um, I actually interviewed him before I read the book. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you're on a deadline. <laughs> and the person and the entity that hires you doesn't give you the book to read beforehand. Um, so I asked him really dumb questions and I feel kind of embarrassed about that. But so I, I kind of asked him a question without knowing that the book was not fully complete. Um, but anyway, I asked him about the completion of the book. And he said in an email, I know the book is exactly halfway done because it's about six and a half people and have done three of them. Pretty straightforward, even if the book itself is a sprawling mess. But again, so is life. So yeah, so we're we can definitely expect more, assuming that that Ware gets it gets it done. One thing that really struck me about the book um, and the way the characters were, were presented is that you kind of get like a snapshot of one character, like Rusty's father, in one section, and then you know later on you get so much more you see so much more of him in his own section his own mm -hmm. humiliations his own failures and you act, and and you also see how talented he is he's actually a talented writer which is actually one of my favorite parts um chris ware actually does a comic of the um of wk brown's uh science fiction horror yep. psychological mm -hmm. horror short story so for a little bit the the book rusty brown kind of just stops and suddenly becomes a science fiction story and then of course we're we're back to what uh rusty brown's father's perspective and we realize oh this is a story that he wrote uh who wrote the short story about isolation on on mars uh which is very much reflects kind of how his his relationship with with women um and you know you kind of develop a lot of sympathy for this guy who's he's just kind of sad and pathetic and then later on you see him again in Ms. Cole's section, and you see a different side of him. You see that racism, that sort of kind of nasty superiority, that drunkenness, what a lout he is. Chris Ware kind of shows you a little bit of a character, the curmudgeonly father, the, 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 the bully. And then he'll kind of open them up a little bit more, and you kind of get a little bit of sympathy for them. You got, I, I felt bad for, for W.K. Brown, that he never really kind of achieved more than that one short story that his life was just full of disappointment and humiliation. And then Chris Ware just rips the rug out from under you and you see a nasty side of him where in a way you kind of, it just kind of drains you of any sympathy you might've had for him where you kind of see, he's just kind of really nasty to, to miss Cole because she's black. And you see a lot of his coldness to her is probably motivated by her race. And I think the same thing with, with Jason Kent, the bully, he shows up, initially bullying young rusty brown and then when we get his whole life story we see how a lot of this is motivated by the loss of his mother the disappointment he feels you know with his interactions with his father well i mean i think the moral is everybody has a story right even the asshole well, yeah but again you kind of start to develop the sympathy for the guy i didn't and again i didn't <laughs> like, you, I, did, I you really... never never you never really felt you never really you never never really felt for him minus like literally only um him as a one-year-old seeing language through yeah. his eyes there's obviously a little bit of domestic abuse that's insinuated and then his mom dying and that was it full on and maybe this is just me being a judgmental prick but i'm like you make the choices in your life and again look the fact that the book emoted that out of me right is it's super easy to stare at chris ware and think it's simplistic cartoons 
And and I, this is probably his third or fourth project that I've read. The only one that I got from the library that I never finished was the board game one mm. because it was too. It was literally too physically hard to read. Like I just couldn't make it work. I didn't have the patience for it. But it's there is a depth to the emotion of the stories he is telling. You become so because of the length and the nuance through through drawing the nuance through the drawings and the squares so to speak you have an inside track into these people's behaviors these minds the subconsciousness of it right like the way someone walks around the room so you know them and you have i have a strong point of view about each of these characters it's visceral i guess is what i would say it that's not if you were to flip through the page you wouldn't visceral would not be the word but upon reading anything by chris ware visceral is how i would describe it almost disturbing that's a great point because you know his his drawings are just so neat and and just kind of beautifully beautifully constructed. The, the illustrations themselves don't make you cringe, but once you get into like the storytelling and what is happening within those pages, it leaves a, a tremendous impression. Like like for me, you know the the with with Jason Lint again, the revelation of the abuse he, uh, on his on his youngest son. Uh, that was that was that was shocking. That was Levi, to me because right? Levi? with Levi, yeah, and yeah, you never because like you know, but the thing is that he that character Jason Lynn, was completely oblivious to that when he had his family. He, I think, he has a line where he says, "I have found myself." But what's interesting to me is that actually, when you kind of go back on those pages and you look at him with his children, you actually kind of see dissatisfaction in their expressions. You look at like the way Chris Ware illustrates Levi, even as a young child, and you kind of see he's never smiling. He always looks kind of sad. Um, and it's something that it's easy to miss. And I think it's something that the character Jason Lint, the father, the patriarch of the family, completely missed. Um, he kind of thought that he did for a while have a happy family. And it's it's it completely blows his mind that he abused his son at the end of jason's story there's mm. like a book that's published online is that levi wrote the book it's an excerpt yeah so so okay. at the end of that story um he he reads an excerpt of his youngest son's memoir called i loved you uh chris Ware actually illustrates that excerpt as a comic it's really really brutal and yeah. and harrowing. It's this moment of abuse that Jason either didn't pay attention to, or that he just completely completely was oblivious to. That kind of marks his his big moment of of isolation, where he pretty much he realizes that he is completely abandoned by everyone around him, probably because of his own his own acts, which he wasn't even aware of. What's striking to me also, his last memory before he presumably dies, is. Allison White, a high school girl who um, is a character. The, the, in, new girl, the new girl at school. The right? new girl Chalk, at school. Chalk, brother. Right. We actually see her early on and, and we see kind and of. He call, like, and he calls her out as a hot chick in art class. He calls her out as a hot chick, but his memory of her is she's unconscious and performing in some sort of sexual act. So it's an implied rape. So 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 that's kind of his, his last memory. And that's what I, I think is so interesting about chris ware's storytelling is the way memory is so unreliable you know despite the fact that we are seeing the visual depiction of a lot of these characters lives you know he there's a lot of information that chris ware kind of hides you know he doesn't showcase but it's sort of it's it's there in the margins the lint chapter is linear for the most part with recollections going back and what i found fascinating in the final chapter miss cole is it was not linear. 
you think you're going on a linear journey. Mm. It was very zigzaggy. That's actually a good point. Everything else is kind of, from a time perspective, is pretty. It's pretty straightforward. And you're right. A lot of Miss Cole's, um, a lot of the narrative kind of happens in the past. And it kind of goes forward. It kind of goes back again. And I, and I don't know uh, if I'm biased. Like this book deserves a second read. I feel the best, the closest affinity actually is to the Miss Cole chapter. And I don't know if that was the last chapter I read, not because it was the last and freshest on my mind, but by the time I got to Miss Cole, I was fully trained in the reading of Chris Ware and the reading of Rusty Brown. Does that make sense? Like I knew the things yeah. I was looking for versus the other ones. I actually was finding myself playing catch up in a few places. And I, I, I want to say one anecdote that's worth the record. So, um, my last hour and a half when I was trying to cram reading this book before I went to another meeting um, is my daughter's quiet time when she's supposed to nap or sit and read her own book. And while she can't read, we read her enough books where she can reread a book to herself. Like, oh, I know this is where this is what's happening. So by flipping through the pictures. And my wife was in a meeting and I was on the couch. I had 25 minutes to finish. I was probably two thirds of the way through the Miss Cole chapter. And you know, I told my daughter, well, just come sit with me. You can stare at the pages while I read, but you have to be quiet. And I, I read a few of the pages to her, a few of the panels to her. I've done that with comics before. She's c- curious. And at some point, so much of the the last third of the Miss Cole chapter is just narrative pictures, very few words. Mm. So I just kind of traced my finger on the things. And she was wrapped enraptured. Like my daughter sat by my side as I finished the book. And it was amazing because... Again, she doesn't know the themes. She doesn't know what's really going on, but she could follow along. It's just a testament to this guy's storytelling style. It's hard not to get consumed in it. Um, and I can't say that about a lot of comics. Each page that Chris Ware writes uh, or illustrates, I think, I actually think kind of Chris Ware is sort of unique in the fact that illustrating is for him the same as as writing which is kind of insane to me because you know it's easy to write down your ideas try to illustrate your ideas yeah i show mean not tell show not tell well it's not just that it's, it's the amount of skill you have to be actually be able to draw your ideas clearly i mean that's just a completely different level of skill and the fact that chris Ware, he's able to do that apparently as easy as as easily as writing is just insane to me. It's just like an insane level of of talent. It's like a different way of seeing the world where instead of writing out your thoughts, you illustrate them. You know, I was trying to compare this horribly to a TV show or movie, but there's there's a silent film aspect to it. The movement between squares, the... I'll give you an example. Uh, God, I wish there were page numbers. Like there's a page where she's thrown a bill in the garbage can and two panels that look near identical. Mm. One is of her looking down at the bill and one looking up from the bill. And that it just like punches you in the gut when you read that. Um, oh, that's where, okay, so if I remember correctly, she's looking at a bill that her coworker threw out, her, her white male coworker, and she notices that his pay is is significantly more than hers. Yep. So I want to just ask you about the uh, how you how you took to the racial component in Rusty Brown, well, specifically Miss Cole's chapter, because that's really the only chapter where race becomes really a, prev- a prevailing factor. You know, it makes sense, of course. Miss Cole is the only black character; everyone else is white. Two things come to mind immediately. One, I promise I'm not plugging. So I'm doing this other podcast called Model Minorities, where we talk about thoughts on work and life through the lens of race and gender. And again, these characters, I just feel like I know them so much. I want to interview Miss Cole for my other podcast. So that's the first thing. The second reaction, as a brown person who grew up in Alabama, 
and again, model minority, like the, the plight of the brown or the yellow man is nowhere near the plight of the like black or the Hispanic or even a woman in a society, right? But seeing Miss Cole in Omaha, Nebraska, I, there was I could just relate to it so much. Um, right, because you grew up in um, in Alabama. Yeah, and it's just this, look, no one ever said you can't eat a cupcake for Roman's mom because she's brown. But, um, and I was fortunate enough to sound With, weird and that's a scene that's a scene that happens in uh, in rusty brown yeah, where yeah. one of her students raises his hand because she's, 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 she's teaching at a private catholic school right and right. um and she overcomes it like there's just so many um she she tries there's a lot of anger no there's a, but there's a, a lot of there's a, there's anger but there's this is gonna sound bad and it's weird that chris Ware has to be the one to write this but there's a and he's not culturally appropriating but there's a grace in which she deals with it um and she she is angry she is frustrated but yes it, Okay. Yeah. Go on. I I I, I want to counter that. But, okay. Fine. But, but like, like, I think it's her daughter or her niece who wants to become a teacher who seems angrier than her. Um, and or some of the other mothers who come to her saying, "Should I send my black kid to this school?" That scene was really, really interesting to me, and that's where I would contest that she kind of handles it with grace. She she kind of swallows, I think, a lot of her anger, yeah. um, and it comes out at certain times, particularly with her sister and with her. Uh, with her mother, uh, as as things kind of do, you know, you always sort of like let your family kind of see your your worst side. But you know, so so a a, a black mother comes to see Miss Cole and wants to know about admission into the school that Miss where Miss Cole is. Um, well, now she's an is an administrator. Yeah. Yeah. She used to be a teacher. She used to be a teacher there. Yeah, and, and and so the mother says, "Well, what most interests me in your institution is that I think my son." would be much more challenged here than at Northside. Miss Cole says, ha ha, yes, on that point, Ms. Davis, I have no doubt. You know, it's a very kind of arrogant, snooty answer. And part of, you know, her her her, her lashing out like that comes from the fact that uh, Miss Cole's sister teaches at Northside. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they have, a, they have a kind of a strained relationship. There's like a superiority, a sense of superiority that... Miss Cole has sort of absorbed from the institution she teaches at, from the people who surrounds her. And she's kind of throwing it in the face of this young mother who is kind of looking at her, looking looking to her for for help and advice. I absorbed 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 is the right word. And I can say that as having seen that, my parents, like I see that in them. They've been in Alabama and they look, we're upper middle class, live in a nice white neighborhood. And um they don't see the things or they follow the logic. Even though my dad teaches at like a privately black college, some of the stuff, I don't want to say it's conservative in nature, but I, they've absorbed it. They've absorbed and acclimated because that was the job back then growing up in the seventies there, right? It was acclimate and assimilate and become accepted. And that's what she's had to do. My grandparents when you know, they came, they were here uh, during world war II you know, we're Chinese American, but of course there was the Japanese internment happening. So they would kind of wear badges and stuff like that to show that they were, they were Chinese, not, not Japanese. So they placed a premium on assimilation to the extent that they wouldn't even teach uh, their own children, the Chinese language. You know, what's, what's interesting to me also is that minorities that reach a certain stature will look down on, you know, other minorities who are, who who haven't gotten there yeah. yet? Like like for instance, yeah. my gra- my grandmother on my mother's side, she's Chinese. She came here in the what the in the fifties, and she hates other Chinese. She hates other Chinese who came, the Chinese who came here after her. 
Yeah. She's like, she always makes fun of, of, of fobs. And we're always like, well, grandma, you're, you're a fob yourself, kind of. And in a way, you know, I'm kind of seeing that a little bit reflected in Chris Ware's depiction of, of Miss Cole. And how does he know? That's what I, I was like, how does he know? Like, again, there's a depth to what he's doing. And he clearly doesn't have that experience. Like, how does he know? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's, I mean, he's, uh, he's obviously an observant guy. You don't have to have the experience to be able to recognize it. Yeah. Chris Ware is obviously a guy who sees a lot and notices a lot. And, and, you know, and the other thing is, I I, I don't know what his personal life is. I actually want to bring this up. Look, Jimmy Corrigan has a half sister who's, uh, who's, this, who's is an, black. this is another book. Jimmy Corden. Another book. Jimmy Corden, smartest kid. Yeah. Uh, is this a smartest? Is the smartest kid on earth or smartest kid in the world? Actually, but it's, it's one of his. The, it was probably the first. It's, it's his seminal. It, it's yeah. It's Chris Ware's kind of seminal graphic novel, and uh, that character. And and so Jimmy Corrigan has a half sister who's black named Amy Corrigan, and Amy Corrigan kind of makes an appearance in Rusty Brown when uh, when Miss Cole sees meets her adopted daughter for the first time. The adopted daughter says, "Yes, I was with my friend." And then, in the in the little aside, the editor says, "That's Amy Corrigan." Basically, I'm just trying to point out the Chris Ware cinematic universe that somewhere, somewhere in the world of Rusty Brown is also Jimmy Corrigan running around looking for his father. He challenges the medium. He stretches the medium, and it's almost su- um, subversively done. It seems so simple when you flip through it. You have to read between the lines or read between the panels to see some of the depth. I want, one other comment I had is like, I've started doing this. I'm bringing it back to me, like with my, some of the, my favorite um, kids' books. I have scanned some of the pages and printed them out and framed them in my daughter's room. And there's so many frame worthy, whether it's the complicated panels of the car accident or just some of the, you know, the beauty of the snowflakes in Omaha. There are literally seven, maybe 10 pages in here that I just want to scan and blow up. Or I would pay for a print to put up in my house. There's a beauty to it. Maybe because we've been talking about it so much, I'm, I'm loving it even more now. <laughs> Each page is meticulously designed. It's not just about the storytelling. It's about how the whole page ends up looking. Our last episode, we talked about Alex Ross, and I've read about his process and see him take pictures, do sketches, etc. It's a process to get to that perfect page. Um, it's not just pen on paper followed by paint. And... I'm genuinely curious how he's how he does this. Is it a is it a is it written first? Is it sketched first? Is it is it improv style? Actually, let me leave you with some words from uh, from from Chris Ware himself. All right. So um, I asked Chris Ware when you're building these stories, to what extent can you envision the whole structure? To what extent are you are you figuring it out as you go along? And he said, you know, like life, though I, I might have some sort of a plan, I'm still essentially figuring it out as I go along. I write with pictures, not words. And even if I did just sit staring at the wall, thinking up a script that I'd later tediously illustrate, I'd still just be figuring it out as I went along. But I wouldn't be doing it with images, and thus I'd be foregoing the peculiar aesthetic advantage that writing in comics uniquely affords. I think maybe it's his aesthetic choices that make his improvised style seem so structured. I mean, he's made choices. Like, does he challenge the panel reading format to the point of frustration? Yes. But there's so much consistent design aesthetic choices that are made, and he only breaks the mold a handful of times. But for the most part, so it does feel planned. It does feel meticulous. But it's it's improv. Uh, yeah, it, it is improv. And speaking of making things up as we go along, what are we going to be 
discussing in our next episode. Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, not to be confused with, but compared with uh, the Edgar Wright movie of the same name from several years back. You know, Scott Pilgrim is a touchstone indie comic for me. I'd read tons of indie comics outside of superhero stuff, but it's really the thing that kicked the door wide open for indie comics, what they could be um, borrowing from the superhero genre, but so many others, right? Whether it's just slacker life, alternative music, culture, manga, video games. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley really just kind of blends all of them together. And this is arguably his seminal work. He's made some other stuff since then, but this is the book that put him on the map. Five volumes, maybe six. Um, and I've only read it once or twice since it originally came out in the early 2000s, and I was in a very much different state of mind back then. So I'm really looking forward to you reading it for the first time, but me even rereading it and revisiting um, a really fun indie comic in my use. So Scott Pilgrim coming up next. All right. And remember, we are Quarantine Comics. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And if you have a comic book recommendation or if you want to write to us and tell us that we are just completely full of shit and totally wrong, send that email to qtdcomics at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.